My guest today is a director of data science at a hedge fund, Centerbrook Partners, where he uses programming to come up with investment opportunities. Please welcome Ross Fabricant. Ross, how's it going? It's going well. Good, good. Hey, man, thanks for coming on to this podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Good. Well, hey, Ross, let's jump right into this. All right. What do you do? My job title is Director of Data Science at a hedge fund named Centerbook Partners. So data science is kind of a broad term. It basically means using a combination of math and programming on data to get insights and do something useful with that data. And a hedge fund is basically something that raises money from investors and tries to invest it intelligently and make more money. Nice. Okay. Very good explanations on this. That's the, one of the first questions I'm going to ask. What is data science? But all right. Thank you for that. <laughs> now, yeah. have you always been interested in data science, data analysis, statistics, et cetera? I would say I came at it in a somewhat roundabout way. I've always been interested in programming okay. from a young age. So that's really how it started. Right. I got a computer science degree. I started working as a programmer and then an opportunity at a hedge fund came up and I really didn't know much about finance at that time. Mm. And I started just kind of doing the programming side, not really the finance side. And then kind of gradually over my career, I had learned more and more about finance and investing and started working on actually developing the strategies to make trades, to decide which stocks to trade. And kind of one step in the hedge fund I was working at at the time started a data science department. So I started working in that then, um, and that was you know, fairly late in my career after I'd already done a lot of things and kind of built up a foundation of, of knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And then talking about that, when you were doing programming, what software languages were you programming and working with? So when I started in finance, Java was pretty popular. So I did some Java, I did C Sharp. But these days, I do almost all Python. Python is very popular for a lot of things now, but it really dominates in data science. Yeah. Um, is it Python, R, and SQL? R is popular also. Yeah. Um, a little less in finance. More, it's more in academia. R is very useful also. And then SQL is the other thing. SQL right. is a way of yeah, interacting with databases. So that's important to know. And SQL. Data science. Would you say that's probably the easiest language to learn? I mean, there's definitely SQL, probably the majority of people who use it even professionally probably just only know the simple stuff. And it's really, it's like, you can use it, yeah, just to kind of pull simple information out of databases, but there is a lot of complexity there. It's Got sort you, of, okay. It's kind of like making a web page, like you can pick it up probably in like an hour right. and, and do something. I mean, especially with like automated tools, but there's also professionals who learn like every detail and are just experts at, at that. But yeah, I would say, yeah, SQLs to know enough to be useful is, is pretty easy. 
I, I think I guess that was me. Um, yeah, I knew a little bit, just enough to be useful in SQL, Unix, Pascal. I mean, Perl, C plus uh, plus, that, that type of stuff. So old school stuff. <laughs> old school stuff. Yes. Yeah, I guess C plus plus is still popular in, in, for certain things, but right. Yeah. But not there as, and I can't believe I said Pascal. I think that was junior high or something. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, way back in the day. Yeah. All right, so cool. So, all right, all these programming languages, and you switch now over to finance and more in a, yeah. a quant role. So what's that transition like? And was that a tough transition? And how'd you get up to speed too? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think I think there's a lot of people who want to do it. Like I've definitely talked to people where it's like, yeah, I'll take a programming job, but really what I want to do is be a trader. And it's not that easy, pretty different tracks, but there is the opportunity. And I think for me kind of over my career, I just tried to learn what was going on and learn about the business, pick up as much as I could. I did various things outside of work. So I took math classes at night to try to strengthen my math background. And I did a program of the FRM, the Financial Risk Manager credential, which is the CFA is better known. And the FRM is similar to that, where it's like there's two tests, you study a lot and learn kind of a broad amount of material. The FRM is more focused, where it's focused on risk management. So anyway, over my career, I was inside work hours and outside trying to kind of expand my skill set and learn as much as I could. So Kind of gradually, I built up the ability to where I could actually help with investment, coming up with investment strategies instead of you know, doing kind of more of the back-end programming. That's great. So is this you taking that initiative on your own to do this, or is this your firm telling you to get more involved and learn these things and what to do? I think I definitely led the initiative. Mm. You know, I would say, like, I'm interested. Here's what I want to do. What can I do to get more involved? And I definitely, I got help and encouragement. But for me, at least there was never a time where someone was like, oh, okay, you're ready for the next step in your career. You should do this. Like it was always kind of me. Initiating um, it. Nice. Yeah. Pushing, trying to see like, what, what are the needs of my firm? And, you know, what can I do to expand my skill set and do something? I love that. Basically. Yeah. Higher up the value chain. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate. I spent over 10 years at the same hedge fund, which is Third Point, which is a, a really good firm. And, you know, because it was, it was grow, it was small and growing new opportunities. Got it. Yeah. Got it. That's great. But those opportunities came up, your proactiveness and your go-getter attitude helped you get to those opportunities that were open and just you're wanting to learn as well. So that's, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Mm. So now you've been in this, doing this for a while. What changes have, have you seen in your industry? Well, that's a good question. So yeah, this actually kind of drives one of the reasons for the firm where I'm at now, which is a new startup, that it's getting harder to find good investments. And the old model where you could just kind of learn about companies, read their filings, talk to people, and then sort of use your intuition to make good decisions about stocks. Not many people really follow that model anymore. And the ones who do probably will not be in business for much longer. Things are just getting a lot more quantitative, a lot more process-driven. And 
that's been one of the things I've focused on in my career. I work, you know, Third Point was a fundamental shop that started really as someone who understands investing. It started as a one-person company based on kind of personal judgment and gradually got more and more process-oriented and quantitative. And so the new firm where I'm at is called Centerbook Partners, and we actually take that even further where we have a data set that's the ideas and positions that have been recorded over a long period from many external hedge funds. Mm. Um, And the data set comes from a tool called Alpha Theory. So Alpha Theory is like a database of hedge fund ideas. So the hedge funds that are involved in it, they found Alpha Theory because they were looking for something to help their process, to help them stay organized and get the most out of their ideas. So that's kind of already the next step above just kind of intuition and subjective judgment and trying to decide how to invest. And then center book, what we're trying to do is take that a step beyond of taking all the this organized data, getting it from many managers, which gives us the benefit of diversification, and then applying quantitative insights to find out, to really understand the data as best we can, extract as much information as we can, both about individual stocks and about broader market movements, and then make investments based on that. Wow, that's interesting. So the data you're mining is basically hedge fund ideas. That's right. Wow. And you're, like you said, understanding it and coming up with financial solutions based on all the different analysis and data management that you're doing on this data. That's right. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's really exciting because there's no other data set like this in the world right. that where alpha theory, it's existed for over a decade. It's built up really good relationships with a lot of top tier hedge funds. So in the investing world, in the, in the quantitative world, it's all about finding a data set, trying to find something unique and extract information from it. But it's it's really hard to do because all the kind of good, there's a data set that's clean, like has a strong relationship to stock prices and has, the idea would be like a clean data set with a long history that's good quality with a lot of academic backing. So, you know, like, yes, there's a reason why this should work. Right. But if you have all that, so does everyone, you know, everyone else will have access to it too, and also be trying to use it to invest. And then the flip side is, People are looking for these weird, obscure data sets, scouring the world to try to find something new that no one else is looking at. And then that way, yeah, maybe you can find ideas that no one else has. But the flip side is it won't have much history. Maybe the data quality is not good. There's probably not academic research showing that it should work. It's all kind of sketchy. And with the alpha theory data set, we sort of get the best of both worlds. It's proprietary. It goes back a decade. It's really well kind of curated and preserved. And we know it has, it's very predictive for stocks, but because of the nature of how it was built by hedge funds using the alpha theory product, it's proprietary. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like a very good mix of your academia and basically practical trading and investing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, that's one thing about quantitative investing that I'm not an academic, but I get to read papers and there, there's a, a very scientific approach to trying to find good investing strategies. Right. And are you writing papers also? 
I have not published anything yet, but that's definitely something on the agenda. I think now at Centerbook, we're, we're in a position where getting some of the information in the public about kind of how our data works and how our trading strategy works actually will benefit the firm. Um, nice. So, so yeah, that is, that is something I'd like to do. Great, great. All right. Now, you mentioned being a, in computer science in undergrad and then also working at this large hedge fund. And I guess you were there a little bit earlier, but it's very competitive in this field that you're in, especially in the hedge fund industry. So can you just talk about how you got these opportunities? Was this through networking? Was this through LinkedIn or, or you know, the company coming to you, you coming to them? How did, how did these opportunities work for you? Yeah, so I actually got involved in the industry just through a recruiter, kind of sent my resume around to hedge funds. So, and I think that's still pretty common, um, especially for people, you know, at the time I had a few years of professional programming experience. And I think that's kind of the sweet spot where you have some experience, so they don't have to kind of train you ground up, but you're still relatively junior and I guess cheaper. So that was how I got involved in finance. And then I got my job at Third Point also through a recruiter. So not not really networking, just kind of working with recruiters to get my name out. Although with Centerbook, which is a startup, that was kind of more kind of organic through networking. So my old firm actually is a client of Alpha Theory. So I knew a lot of the people involved. Got it. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay, great. Great. All right. And now one thing in data science I hear a lot about is machine learning. What Mm -hmm. is that? What is machine learning? Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. The idea of machine learning is basically that instead of specifying upfront how a computer should build your model, you give it data and you give it rules for to kind of go through step by step it will essentially build a really bad model, judge it by some criteria, have some way to improve it a little bit and do that over and over and over again until at the end you end up with a model that works well as defined by however you, you told it to, to judge it, the models. So this is like a machine trying to learn how to play say like Super Mario Brothers on its own, it goes backwards at first. And then after certain iterations, it figures out to go forward and then how to jump. And then after a while, after so many iterations, it's able to pass the whole level 10 times quicker than we can. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it turns out to be a really useful technique in a lot of domains. I will say we do use machine learning, but it's harder to do. Finance has not been a great domain for machine learning. And okay. some of that is because Super Mario Brothers, if you if you go level one and hit the jump button, you're gonna land on that block every time. <laughs> In finance, you only go through March of 2020 once and then it's not gonna happen again. Right. <laughs> it's a it's a harder domain to to teach computers just by, you know, kind of letting it run through history and, and build the model. Good point. Okay. Now, with you, you mentioned equities. Is that the asset class that you work with? Are you working with also fixed income, foreign exchange, currencies, things of that nature? That's right. Right now, we only focus on equities. Okay. And yeah, 
most of my career, I've, I've mostly done equities, although you know, I've been involved in credit, structured credit options a little bit over time as well. So I think it's important to learn about all that stuff. But yeah, right now, focus on equities. Okay. All right. Now, can you talk about what a typical day of yours looks like? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, the fun thing about a startup is that there is a lot going on. You know, there's no typical day, but kind of broadly, I would say I, right now, I spend my time on three different types of responsibilities. So strategy research, software engineering, and management. Mm -hmm. So kind of the most fun is the research. So if I'm spending my day on research, that would be talking, collaborating with my coworkers. And, you know, I have a lot of really smart coworkers, very experienced, you know, from top tier firms and, and they have diverse intellectual backgrounds. You know, they've, some are more quantitative, some are more fundamental focused. So there's a lot of good ideas. So if we're trying to improve the strategy, you might have a kind of brainstorming call. Someone will have an idea about, here's how I invested when I was running a fundamental hedge fund. And maybe we can look at something like what types of stocks do the managers own more risky stocks or less risky stocks and see if we can aggregate that and get some information from that. We'll come up with some ideas. I'll think about how do I translate that into something that I can build and test today and get some results. And then think about it for a while, come up with a plan, go write some code, which... Like I said, usually I'll use SQL to get the data, use Python to analyze it and try to get some quick results and present it typically within a day or two, try to have some kind of first pass to at least say like, yes, this is viable or no, like it, it doesn't look like there's much there or, you know, there's some effect, but it doesn't look that promising. We're probably better off spending, you know, moving on to the next idea. So, so that's really, it's all about, you know, kind of understanding the data, understanding the tools to be able to get quick results and then communicating results. And a lot of that, you know, a lot of data science is knowing just which, how to plot and chart data, like what, what is the most logical way to present this result and understanding the data, understanding how to work with it. What, how do you handle outliers? How do you handle data errors. And that's it's just very domain specific. And that's something where you just learn by doing, by spending a lot of time in the domain. So that's research. It's probably, yeah, the most fun. I spend a fair amount of my time on software engineering, data engineering. So that's basically just write some code to load the data that we need mm. and make sure that it's correct and write code to generate our models and show what the results are over time and show the report over time. And that's, again, it's a small company, it's a startup. So, you know, I'm wearing a lot of different hats. It's more of a kind of traditional, you would call that like a quantitative developer who does the, the simulations and shows the results. Kind of a data engineer would be the typical person to bring in the data and clean it. But you know, data science it's kind of a broad category that encompasses all of that. I and mean, right now, you know, it's a small company. Everyone's kind of a generalist. And then, yeah, the third type of responsibility I have is management. So coordinating with, with the other developers, making sure 
our schedule is set. We have priorities that align with the business, making sure working with external parties, make sure we have the right data coming in and yeah, just kind of meetings and setting priorities. All right. Now, seems like a lot <laughs> and definitely seems like you have to wear a lot of hats, like you said, being in a, in a startup. Now, you mentioned using Python and you mentioned that earlier, breaking down the data and analyzing it. I don't know too much about Python, but is that comparable to and now you're going to make fun of me again for me knowing old school programming languages, but is that comparable to SAS? Yes, yeah, SAS is actually, I believe, more like R, but oh, okay. yeah. So yeah, R and SAS are kind of domain-specific languages for data analysis. Mm-hmm. And Python is not. Python is a general purpose language. Okay. Um, but it has a lot of really good tools for data analysis. Yeah, the primary one is Pandas, uh, which is it's a library, lets you do a lot of the stuff that is easy to do in R or SAS, like pull in some data, do a linear regression, plot it. Like you can do all that stuff really quickly in Python as well using Pandas and um, some other really common libraries. Okay, all right. But yeah, I guess the advantage of Python is because it's general purpose, it's easier. You can use Python both for kind of the quick data visualization and for production code where it's actually pulling in your data every day, generating your model. You don't really want to do that in R or SAS, but you can in in Python. Okay. Okay. Thank you. And then you mentioned anomalies. So when you're generating these models, what are you doing in general with anomalies that you see? So it depends. The basic approach is visualize it, dig into it, dig into specific examples, try to understand what's going on. Okay. And then there's a whole craft to it, right? Like compare it with other data sources to see, but the basic idea is kind of do triage. So for some data where it's alpha theory data, where we can actually just call the data provider, we can say like, hey, this data looks fun. What's going on? (laughs) Like, can you fix it? Um, And actually for for external vendors, I do that a fair amount too. Even that's um, something a lot of people are surprised about that in finance, even the largest data providers on some of like what you would think is the most heavily vetted data, you just see like, hey, they have the wrong price for IBM like on one day. How could that be? But but it is. And then you email them and they're like, oh, sorry, we'll fix Mm -hmm. it. So... So yeah, you know, fixing it is the best approach. Sometimes it's just, you know, try to get a sense for, okay, there's this data, it's wrong. I sort of understand how it happened and the scope of it. It's not really going to affect our results. And it's in the past. So yeah. it, it it's not significantly going to affect our historical analysis. And we'll just make a note and make sure that when we actually start live trading, we won't have this problem anymore. So, you know, sometimes you just live with it. And then, you know, there's other techniques. You can, there's imputing data where you can say like, you know, something's, the data is missing. Let me look at other data to try to figure out a good guess of what would have been. Okay. Um, there's various statistical techniques to try to work with bad data as well. Okay, interesting. All right. And then your hours, what are they like? 
Well, it's been interesting. Center Book started in March. Oh. So <laughs> we have, you know, kind of always been a remote company. Right. So, yeah, I would say, you know, for a typical day, I try to structure it where I have a, I have a three-year-old son. So I like to see him in the morning. We'll have breakfast together. And then, so my day starts uh, when he goes to school and then, you know, kind of I'll work through the day. Usually when he gets home, I'll stop around then, you know, we'll have dinner, I'll tuck him in and then, you know, I'll log back on and do a little bit more in the evening. So I'm, I'm working a lot of hours, but the way it's structured, you know, I get to have a lot of family time as well. Got it. That's great. Good. All right. And now, Skills and characteristics, just based on some of the things that you've said, it definitely seems like you need to have leadership skills, of course, your data analysis, programming skills, mathematical skills, of, of course, finance, you're you know, having to learn finance, and just all the several different hats that you wear, just multitasking as well. But what skills and characteristics would you say are most important to be successful in what you do? I think that the people I've seen who are successful in quantitative roles are interested in in the process and the tools and really enjoy the, that aspect of it and not just kind of the results. And yeah, so I think that, yeah, you have to enjoy it. I get excited learning about new tools. So I think if it's fun for you, then you can actually, you know, it makes it much easier to kind of develop your skills over your career. Right. That's one aspect. And I think, yeah, for, you know, in quantitative roles, I think having a certain kind of analytical mindset where you enjoy, you know, getting to the bottom of things, really understanding. And I think there's, you know, it's, it's kind of like some people might be satisfied with kind of a relatively high level understanding of something where it's like, I think a more quantitative minded person, like they want to really dig in like all the way down until they're convinced like, yes, I, I know exactly like every step of this. And I think that's kind of a, a good trait. Yeah, in my career, programming has been very important, you know, even as I've tried to kind of become more than just a standard issue programmer, understanding programming, being good at and having a programmer mindset is still really important. And for me, less so math, even though, you know, it's a quantitative role and the math is really important and not standing, you know, it's, I would not say like I'm a math genius that from, for me, like the programming is something I'm really passionate about and then math has been more something I've kind of picked up as necessary. Although it is important, there's certain, I don't, don't build a lot of really complex models, but I build a lot of simple models and I understand the simple models really well and kind of the limitations and the assumptions. So I think that's, that's important. It's really, that's, you know, kind of getting back to just knowing your tools really well. Mm -hmm. All right. Now you mentioned you have your degree in a computer science. Is that what you mainly see in your world for people in quant or data science? I was going to say, do you also see math, but you're saying that, well, at least for you, math is a little less, but do you see other degrees out there as well that have been helpful for people in your field? 
Yeah, I mean, the so the more traditional data scientists would be a PhD in something like physics, where they physics, um, yeah. really, really strong math, you know, really strong modeling. And yeah, I work with people who have PhDs in more quantitative fields. So yeah, I mean, yeah, you can, you know, there's quantitative finance, which is, you know, a logical entry point. Yeah, a lot of data scientists have a, a physics background. Okay. All right. Didn't know that. Good to know. All right. And now, can you talk about what you love about what you do? Yeah, I mean, the best part is getting to work with really smart people who, you know, like I mentioned, really diverse experiences. So they're all, you know, people are coming at it with different intellectual backgrounds and different ideas. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of collaboration, a lot of sharing ideas and so that's a lot of fun. So yeah, there's the collaboration aspect and, you know, it's fun working at a small startup, especially one that is promising and growing. Uh, you know, it's really exciting and we feel like we're doing something that really is truly unique and, and going to, that we're going to change kind of the, the face of how hedge funds operate. So, so it's exciting. That is, that is awesome. Yeah. Now, what about on the flip side, though? What challenges are out there for you? I, I know you mentioned you started in March, so you've had to be basically remote this whole time because of the pandemic. So I guess that's sort of a challenge. Uh, yeah. yeah. What other challenges do you have? Yeah, I mean, one that's, you know, I think true for any startup, right? You're, you always feel like you're you're running out of time and scrambling to get the next result complete to ensure the survival of the company. So there's a lot of pressure. There's, you know, it's definitely, yeah, I'd say more, more responsibility, more stress than, you know, maybe a more stable job at a, a bigger company. So, you know, I think the only way it works is if it's something you're passionate about and enjoy, so, you know, I don't think it's sustainable to uh, work that hard for a long period, you know, unless it's, you're getting some kind of personal benefit beyond just a paycheck. Right. Right. And now with that, when you get sign off, it's different now. It's not like going home. So you, you're working at home, but when you kind of just finally sign off, is it difficult being in a startup and, you know, having to wear so many hats and so many things out there that can influence the markets and things? Is it hard to kind of just really turn off or when you're done, you're done? It can be hard, but I make a conscious effort that when, you know, it's in some ways it's it's been a little easier this year, right? Where I'm not seeing friends a lot, no matter what. Yeah. But, you know, there was a period, yeah, early in the startup, I said, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be leaving my house, even if it were legal to do it. Uh, but, but yeah, so it, it can be a challenge, but I definitely make an effort that I'm with my family, family time, and, you know, they deserve my full attention and not to be distracted by work. And I think, you know, my coworkers are pretty respectful of that also, which, which helps. That's great. That's a good situation and good for you. That's great. All right. Now, do you have any memorable moments in your career that stick out to you? Yeah, I mean, I guess there was one moment at Centerbook that happened pretty early on was that I learned about the concept and I was really excited because I, I kind of 
knew this was a great data set and we could do a lot with it. And then I came on board and we started building some models. And the, the first approach we tried really did not work very well. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't for a long period. It was really just for, I think, two weeks. And we kind of built some models that just like expected to work. Results were, were not good. And then um, I think it was like kind of late one night, late-ish, like 9.30. I was working on, I had, I had a new idea. I coded it up. I ran it. And it, the first time it ran, I, you know, I'm plotting kind of like the, the back test. It was really, really good just from kind of like one simple change. And I was so excited. Like called my coworker because I knew he we had been like talking back and forth. I knew he'd be like really excited. Showed him the the chart and kind of that was that was the first moment when we had kind of proof that like yes this can work. And then you know obviously we've done a lot of work since then and made it much better and added in a lot more realism to the models. But yeah, kind of I re- I remember that first moment of yeah showing that things worked. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. No, and I I could definitely, I could see that. So I was a math major undergrad and that, that problem solving and coming up with a solution from just a a very complex problem, whatever it is, that feeling that you have afterwards, it's, it's amazing. So I can, I can definitely see what you're talking about and just kind of picture that. (laughs) That's great. All right. So, hey, Ross, we're at the end of this interview. It's been great. We're going to head to this quick hitter session. We're going to ask you questions for fun to get to know you a little bit better. But before we do that, I just want to find out if there's anything additional that you would like to discuss or if you feel like I might have left off anything asking you. I think we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks. Cool. All right. Good. Great. Great. Oh, I guess before we go there, I just want to ask, do you have any advice for anyone getting into data science or quant finance, quant side of finance, I should say? I can say what worked for me is spend most of your focus doing the job that you currently have well, try to learn your tools well, and then just kind of soak up as much as you can about what's around you. And yeah, assuming that you're in a finance role already, if you're looking to break in I found that recruiters are good. It helps to have, you know, some kind of viable skill already. Like if you can program well, you know, I think that's, that's a good way to get your foot in the door. Great. Great advice. Good. All right. So let's do these uh, quick hitter questions. First question. What's your favorite sports team? Patriots. All right. You had a good run, a really good run. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Is it tough seeing Brady win or are you rooting for him? I, I would like him to win. I, you know, he's, uh, he's a great athlete. He, uh, you know, gave a lot to, to the Patriots. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he can still do it. He can still play. Yeah. Yeah, man. He, he still got it. All right. Favorite movie or show? I've just been um, watching an old one. Uh, Mike Judge made a series called Tales from the Tour Bus. Huh. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. It's, actually, it's really and, uh, good. It's really yes. funny. Prince uh, and all, like, yeah. yeah, people telling stories about old musicians. That is hilarious. Uh, yeah, it is. 
I forgot all about that. Yep. Yeah. That's good stuff there. All right. Favorite musical artist or group? So, um, see, I'm, yeah, that's, that's tough to pick. Um, <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of like kind of old New Orleans funk. So like the meters, Dr. John, Professor Longhair, like that's what I've been into recently, okay. but yeah. All right. I like that. All right. There is. Favorite vacation spot? I went to Maui on my honeymoon and um, that was really fun. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. seem to like that a lot. Yeah. Okay, you check it out. Favorite food or drink? Oh, well, my wife went to culinary school. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> she uh, worked in, yeah, some of the, the best restaurants in the world and recently wrote a cookbook called Hangover Helper, which is uh, hangover <laughs> foods from around the world. Good to know. Yeah. So, yeah, I got to enjoy a lot all those the recipes from that book while she was working on it. So yeah, def- when she goes all out on a home cooked meal, that's definitely pretty memorable. And let's see, I think there's a actually on the New Orleans theme in the, in the book. There's a soup called Yakamane, which is kind of a a mix of Creole spices in a Asian noodle soup oh. uh, that came wow. from New Orleans, and that's really good. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, wow. I'll, I'll put that as, that one as my favorite. That's nice. Well, good for you. Well, hey, Ross, this has been great. Learned a lot. We have great advice and just it's great the things that you guys are doing and very interesting uh, the things that you guys are doing and the startup, the growth and the opportunity is very exciting. So just want to say congrats and all that you've done so far. Keep doing it. Thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity. This was a lot of fun. Cool. Great. Glad it was. And if people have any questions for you, is there any way that they can reach out to you? Sure. Yeah. Probably simplest way. Just look me up. Fabricant. You can find my LinkedIn. Um, if you shoot me a, a message, I will respond. Sounds good. All right, Ross. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram. Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.